Welcome to The Last Supper Talking Art, a weekly podcast featuring artists, collectors and gallerists in Asia. Hello everyone, I'm your host Oscar Vernhuis, a Dutch-Korean artist based on Lama Island in Hong Kong. In this episode, I talk with performance artist Florence Lam, who returned to Hong Kong from Europe two years ago. We delved into her research and her experience with methods of magical thinking, anthropomorphism and a personal concept to elastify worldviews. Before I begin, I'd like to mention that the Last Supper podcast is supported by the Hong Kong Art Gallery Association, a member-based non-profit organization of established local and international art galleries in Hong Kong. Hi Florence, thank you for coming over and let's begin. How are you today? I'm good. Let's start with how you would describe what you do, Florence, when you talk about your work. How would you describe what you do? Hmm... I think normally I introduce myself as a performance artist first, but then it's not only performance art that I'm working with, but also mediums like video or text yeah, and performance installations, mainly these few. But I think recently they're more like all of them come from a performative intention somehow or starting point. But yeah, mainly performance, I would say. You are the very first live performance artist on this podcast. And although I'm familiar with live performances, I would consider myself a newbie with very limited knowledge about this domain. The very first question I have for you is how you would explain the distinction between theatre and what you do. I'm not that much of an expert in theatre, so I can't speak too much like about what theatre is or not. But I get asked this question quite a lot because they're very similar. Like even the name is very similar. One like theatre is considered uh, as one kind of performing arts, which also includes like dance or music, that's performing arts. And what I'm doing is performance art, which comes from the visual art or the fine art context. And I think if we have to compare the two People talk about how in theatre they there's always a role to fulfill. Like you have maybe you have a play and you have a character to to become, and you have, for example, the theatre director's uh, needs to fulfill. For example, whereas in performance art, in my perspective, of course, every performance artist have their own understanding, but from my perspective, it's it's about creating a situation in an artistic context and putting yourself in it. Uh, so you're basically being yourself in the situation that you created by yourself. I've looked at some of your performances and they seem to be really spontaneous, intuitive and very fluid. At least they appear to come over like that when I look at your performances and references that you shared with me. What can you say about your preparation before a live performance? How much is prepared and how much of your performance is impromptu? I would say I do prepare for a performance to an extent that uh, I prepare the perhaps the concept of the work or the, there's always some kind of inspiration that led to what the performance could turn out to be like. So that part is the preparation, but I never rehearse the the actual performance 
it's very much about the like what's happening instantly or like the the instant reactions I have when I put myself into that situation. That is the part that I don't rehearse or that I don't prepare. So there's like a fine, how can I say it? Yeah, I think for me the preparation is is about yeah the concept or the idea or the starting point of the piece. But then because I work mostly with improvisation, so think the way I work with it is that I sort of really absorb or try to understand as much as I can with the concepts or with the the reasons why I choose certain objects I work with beforehand and then when I go into the performance I sort of go also go blank headed somehow and to just to listen to the sort of the sensations I have when I work directly with the materials because this is something my performance art teacher back in Europe because I studied in Europe before uh, my performance art teacher always told us to like to not to do the action but let the action tell you what to do it's like a conversation with the materials or the objects I chose to work with instead of what I want them to be like or how I change them yeah, I don't know if that makes sense somehow. That's very helpful, Florence. The other question I have is about your performances is how you begin one. Because I know that certain painters and writers and other creative people find it extremely difficult to have a blank canvas and to write down the very first sentence or make the very first stroke. How do you go about beginning a new work? I think a big part of it is very much in the moment, but then about what to prepare for before a performance, I think it's also become something very practical because especially for example, for performances that are very long durational, for example, I did the longest was that it lasted for about 16 hours. So for that kind of performance, I think the preparation is about, uh, it's about preparing my body so I'm able to use my energy to the fullest somehow including physical energy or or mental energy and I think it's a process of learning to how to be with your body and also how to be with your like mental side of you to kind of trick yourself into the best kind of state before going in When I was researching your work, I came across the following, and I will read it out for you. She experiments with the methods of magical thinking, anthropomorphism, and wonder to elastify worldviews by treating all elements in her work as equal in the context of universal acceptance and respect. So there's quite a lot in here, and there are three things I want to focus on. Magical thinking, anthropomorphism, and elastify world views. So let's begin with the magical thinking. Can you describe what this is? Magical thinking is um, like a psychological phenomenon that is very common in children because it's the time when their brains are sort of developing. It's also the time when they start to understand how the, the world works, like how things are linked causally. And like at the same time when their brains are developing and there's a phenomenon that children start to 
uh, make causal links between things by explaining them with uh, magic. So it's something that is not scientifically proven, but it's almost similar to something like a spiritual belief. Like for example, they had an example: the parents of a child died, and then the child will think, "Oh, it must be me behaving." Badly, so that's why my parents have to die. So it's that kind of understanding, but then the inspiration I got from this is that perhaps the way we understand how the world works right now is not the only way how everybody would understand how things link together or how things worked. And in fact, we've all been children before, and we've all experienced that period of time when we understand how things happen not in a very Rational way somehow, but then it's still convincing, and to me, it's like way of opening up how logic could be like, and yeah, it's a, it's an inspiration for me when I think about my works, so like how I uh, link, for example, my actions to the reactions that is being caused to the materials or the objects, or how different things are interlinked, like physically or conceptually. Yeah, I think that's more like an inspiration than a direct reference to how magical thinking is as a way of thinking. What I noticed in your performances is that very often you work with and respond to objects in your environment. What can you tell me about the role of these objects in your live performances? Uh, most of the time, but not all the time. When I do work with an object, I think perhaps also because performance art comes from a contemporary art or fine art context, the objects I choose they always uh, either already carry some like underlying meaning in why they would be placed into that performance or that artwork, or by like combinations of different. Objects putting together, it creates a narrative already, and then by performing an action to it, or by, or like with that action transforming the material, it creates a a narrative somehow, or a, a conversation somehow, like either between only between myself and the materials, or with the audiences who are there already. This is one use of the object, and the other use is the. Every object has its physical quality, and different physical quality gives me a different possibility in how my body or how my actions could evolve around them or if evolve together with them. And this sounds more like craftsmanship side of concern. So, yeah, I think that's my relationship with objects when I do my performances. Your performances are very diverse, not only in length but also how you express yourself. I wonder, especially when you have a long performance of several hours, if you have some kind of depository of movements and bodily responses that you apply during a live performance. Mm, sometimes I do. Like sometimes I would start with a task, so there's a certain action that I plan to do with it. But then I also like having space for possibilities to happen outside of my expectation because I think that's what doing a live performance 
what it could do is that it like things that happen or how materials transform in a way that is outside of my expectation and that's how the artwork becomes really alive because it's out of my reach in a way Now let's talk about the second term that you use, which is anthropomorphism. What is the role of this in your work? I think it's also a kind of inspiration to me as an attitude of thinking or an attitude of how I see things because anthropomorphism is is like when you see an object, you imagine that maybe it has life and has the same kind of, like I don't know, somehow on the same frequency is it's not actually like that but it's an imagination somehow and I think by imagining that something has life it changes your attitude towards it so in a way you maybe you empathize it more or you think more about for example where this object came from or what kind of experience it had before coming to my hands it's actually a very common artistic practices where you think of where your objects come from for example or like why you choose certain materials to work with but by imagining that it perhaps have life even though I obviously it doesn't have it especially when I have to work with it and sometimes or like transform it through actions I think it would change my attitude towards it in a way that I would somehow treat the object with more respect or with more care like how you would approach a person for example like like you wouldn't just go and damage someone right yeah it's it's about how to how to create my own i don't know like social it's it's a kind of social relation somehow i don't know how to explain it well You mentioned that you imagine the objects you interact with have life while you know it is not alive. I know this is a bit of a jump from what you just said, but do you imagine or believe in panpsychism, the concept that everything around us has a certain degree of consciousness? For example, a stone would be at the bottom of consciousness, a plant would possess a little bit more, and so on to animals and human beings with the highest level of consciousness. What is your view on panpsychism? I think this is becoming maybe somehow very spiritual, but like I think they would have, like everything has, I think certain thing I really believe is that like different people having uh, possessed different things or having the energy from the person would be carried on by objects and but then like for example talking about plants I think there must be some kind of feeling but it's not the way how perhaps human understand feelings it's like for me it's maybe something like everything is kind of the same but we just articulate them with different vocabulary or different with a different understanding Yeah, I don't know. For example, you see articles saying how like plants also have feelings or like scientists, they do experiments with plants and they see how the plant like are giving 
different kinds of frequencies. That's that kind of thing. I think it's also maybe because I I come from an Asian background and this kind of thinking is is very daily for me as well. I don't think of them as like a direct input to how I think about uh, objects or materials I work with within the performance, but I think like more or less is affecting how I would think of objects that that they're not just dead objects, but they have had a history somehow or they like maybe it has been something that has been very precious or even not very precious they've been in certain places that has like different kinds of energy and i mean i won't be able to know all of that but then by bearing that in mind it's the kind of respect i would like to give to objects when i do work with them somehow The last term in the paragraph I just read out was to elastify worldviews. What is elastifying in this context? Yeah, I think I invented this word, I think elastify, because I think it's very ambitious to say to change the worldview, but elastifying is like making it more elastic, so it's not as rigid as before. So I guess... That's what I'm trying to do to to make our way of understanding the world more more fluid somehow or like to allow ourselves to understand the world in a more fluid way and not just, for example, not just uh, believe that what we have been understanding is the only way of understanding and to, to know that there are other ways of con- perceiving how things work or how things are linked together. Because I wrote this statement quite a while ago and it's the kind of realization I had when I first moved from Hong Kong to study in the UK because I think I spent like 17 years of my life in one kind of way of life somehow and then by moving to another place I felt that there's some, like of course there are many similarities but there are also some things that are fundamentally different in the way how people understand things work or how people think about how people are related for example and maybe that's a a kind of reminder for myself as well as much as it's something I would like to work towards to allow that space to happen within my practice. When you talk about elastifying worldviews Can you give me an example of how this is embedded in your performance work? I think one example is when uh, I would talk talk about one work I did in 2017 in in Denmark. And there was um, like a sports court and it has many fences around the court, like very tall, bright yellow fences. And then I dipped like a wall roller into a bowl of soap water and I was rolling it on the fence. And as wind blows, there are bubbles being created. It's quite an, like, quite an old work, like from a few years ago. But then I guess that attempt as an example is, is about how like one way is to put a tool or a material into a situation that is not normally how it would be, but then 
there's still logic that is happening there or it still makes sense for it to be there even though it's not doing what is normally being used so i guess for example with tools that have a very specific purpose or way of using by by mixing them up it's maybe a way of elastifying world views i guess You said you studied and worked in London, but you also lived in Iceland. Can you tell more about how you came about to decide to study further in Iceland? The year after I graduated in the UK, I was staying there for another year and working as a teaching assistant. But then somehow I'm a little bit fed up of being in a big city. Also growing up in Hong Kong, and London is such a big city and I thought I would really love to go to somewhere that is very close to nature and also like somehow it felt a bit like at the end of the world in a way I was just googling because I was also looking for an an opportunity for studying masters and then I think the Iceland Academy of the Arts was one of the first one that popped up and I've never been to Iceland and I just submitted the proposal on the day of the deadline and then two days later they sent me an email for an interview and then within a week everything was decided yeah very spontaneous but i think it was one of the best uh, decisions i've ever made what i also like to talk about is how you decided to work as a performance artist and what attracted you to this because you also did very different domains including photography video sculpture and installations i think from all the disciplines that you practiced what attracted you to performance art actually when i did my bachelor's i was studying fine art but in the 3d pathway uh, which means like it's more like like installation sculpture type like even though all my classmates everybody are doing different things but the the teachers we had they are all sculptors or installation artists so the conversations we would have or the like the the critique in class we would have would would always surround like vocabularies that are more seen in like when you talk about sculptures so uh, but then for my graduation piece in my bachelor's i sort of have to be in front of the audience to make the sculpture live and i guess uh, because the material is very temporary it only lasts for about 30 minutes so i guess that's how i slowly got into performance because initially i just have to be there to make something but and then somehow the presence of myself being there became bigger and bigger or i sort of see more and more like possibilities of me being myself and instantly creating or making decisions while making the artwork and then the focus sort of slowly shifted to performance so performing with my body or with myself sort of initially uh, initiating actions uh, towards materials or objects i chose but then i would say like the real passion towards performance art really started uh, I mean, like after my bachelor's, during my master's studies, I also did performances, but the passion really started after my master's studies. Uh, when I went to 
uh, Lublin in Poland, there is uh, a gallery called Galleria Labyrinth in, in Lublin. Uh, the former director is also a performance artist, so he curated and, and organized many performance art platforms and events in Poland maybe, but then it has a very big influence around Europe, but mainly Eastern Europe. So I went to a performance platform there and it was the first time I really get to learn from a real performance artist who have been active since the 80s and also met the performance art community. And I think there's something very special about this community that I really like that I would like to keep experimenting with this medium and be in touch with this community. You performed in different countries. So what can you say about and share with me about your experiences working with such a diverse group of people? I'm like a very lucky I'm in a very lucky situation to have been able to go to art school and then got in touch with like galleries and arts institutions and to be able to start learning about performance in, in an environment that has a longer history somehow or has a longer history of acceptance in art institutions, which is in Europe. So the biggest difference I see is that uh, in Europe, uh, performance art happen uh, both on the streets and in institutions, and there are also much more like programs or support towards performance artists in Europe in general, more festivals. But then in Asia, I would say somehow i don't know why i think they happen mostly in the streets i would say and uh, from how i understood it's also with performance arts the performance arts uh, in asia in the beginning is mostly documented or followed by reporters so the the understanding of performance art is maybe more about like social actions or like people doing some kind of actions in the streets and it would be reporters who would be interested in documenting them uh, other than, for example, curators or art institutions. So I think the starting point kind of starts quite differently, which perhaps explains why performance artists around Asia, they maybe it takes a longer, longer path for them to be in contact with art institutions because the starting point is different, I guess. You returned two years ago to Hong Kong. How would you describe the development of the Hong Kong audience since you've been back? Are there particular themes and subjects that have emerged here in Hong Kong? I think in a way, I mean, I would somehow break up my the development of my practices somehow according to the location as well as also somehow something that has been developed alongside with my personal development but then it's two years ago since i officially moved back to hong kong and by the change of the environment and also people's like different experiences people have 
I think people are like not more attracted to, but maybe more they would resonate more with actions or ideas that dip into loss or destruction or something that is like speaking in a more general something that is heavier about healing trauma that kind of things yeah i think that would be the main difference is also about the timing i came back and i think this kind of trauma it's it's a very immense kind of trauma i mean i'm not saying that there aren't other like traumas from histories in the in western countries but then perhaps also because i'm also coming from hong kong so it's something that i we could resonate together more fully because of the upbringing and also because of the background with Julia Chen as well in the previous podcast. Together you founded and started this live art performance platform called Per Platform. How would you describe this new initiative? So Juliana and I started Per Platform in 2021. It's an initiative to create a platform for different kinds of live art to come together and to showcase and for experienced and emerging artists to get to know each other to learn from each other and to share experiences i think also maybe because i'm more focused on performance art so the kind of focus in curation and also direction are more or like the kind of interests and needs i know are more performance art oriented and like with emerging artists when they ask me for advice it would also be uh, coming from a performance art perspective but we are also trying to uh, encourage people from for example theater or dance or music or other forms of art creation that are live and also using the body as the main medium to express to come together into this platform and to sort of create together. You explained your motivation behind per platform, but what I'm interested in as well is why did you decide to begin this? Because is your initiative the only live performance art platform in Hong Kong? I don't think so. Actually, there have been a, a group of performance artists in Hong Kong that have been uh, practicing for many years. It's called the the Originals. But then I think they're a very close to group and it's not very often that they reach out to other audiences. So maybe that's the main reason why not many people have heard about them, but they've been very active, especially before COVID started. The founding of Per Platform is also in the midst of COVID. So yeah, we've also been experiencing lots of difficulties with holding live events, but uh, sort of a new challenge to work around them and to work towards a solution where artists and audiences and the organizers, they or like the venue providers are comfortable with having groups of people gathering and watching performances. 
it's really fascinating that you decided to form this live art performance platform when we had the strict COVID and physical distance restrictions in Hong Kong. At the time, were you considering contingency plans to do this online? No, we've never thought about doing it online because there's something very, um, not very special, but very important in performance art that there are many things that can only be experienced live. And uh, also because of COVID, people are often separated or people uh, avoid meeting too much of gather. And I think that like the relationship between people or like how how close you can get to people or like the kind of comfort or trust you have with either people you already know or you don't know are being somehow celebrated as much so it's very important for the platform to happen live and we still try to do them in between waves so it's not that bad so to like lower the danger somehow you spoke briefly about trauma as a theme in your performances do you work with other central narratives and subjects in your work at the moment every time i sort of work with a different topic or a subject but there's always the like a sort of consistent core maybe and it's also the way how i understand intuition or improvisation is the the ability to sort of create something out of nothing or like the somehow like the fertility of the mind and also dealing with this idea of or this ability of fertility of as being a woman somehow because in my opinion there's not that much of a difference of course there's a difference between actually giving uh, giving birth to someone than giving birth to an idea but it's somehow with the physical abilities of being a woman perhaps that would change how we think of generating something new and i think that's like in my own practice that's somehow some kind of recurring theme it's not intended but as i do more and more improvisation pieces i think i see traces of these kind of attempts whenever i deal with different topics and i think with the festivals we try to be as open as we can because we don't want the themes to be limiting to the artist too much so for the first edition we did which is which happened in uh, september 2021 last year the theme was entropy arrow of time so it's about looking at time how time or how things transform causally from a scientific perspective i mean it's just a it's just a curatorial concept that we put to try to wrap everybody's work so so there are very short performances or there are some very long durational performances and it's one suggestive entry point to see how performance or an action could change or could transform or could be transformed differently when they are being dealt with a different duration Uh, just like how like I always imagine how the duration of a performance is similar to how big a canvas is. So like for instance, 
for example, like the the shorter the time, the smaller the canvas, and the bigger the like the longer the time we have, the bigger the canvas is. There's no uh, better or worse option. It's just doing different things to the artwork itself. The reference you made to time and the size of the canvas is really fascinating. What was the motivation behind your decision to focus on time? I think it's the it's the life element of the works you would like to showcase because they're all life works or they're all performances. And I think time is something that it's really containing and enabling the work and how it sort of changes the relationship between audiences and the performance or the, the artists. And also because we curated the show like in the form of a timetable. So it's something that we would like to highlight on that the festival is timely and performances are timely and it's really the very specific time and space that you would uh, share with the artist if you choose to go and experience the work. Earlier you referred to one of the reasons why you began your Per Platform initiative and I think you said it was to build a community of performance artists. Why is this? Yeah, I think it's, there's something very special about the performance art community which is something that we're hoping to carry on. Like the kind of spirit is that in performance art because you're performing live and very often people are like not intentionally be becoming very vulnerable but then especially when you're working with improvisation or when you're opening up for things that are unplanned to happen there's always something very like inner that artists are dealing with and i think audiences see like they see that and they very easy it's very easy for audiences to empathize that and also even between artists it's easy to empathize that and I think it somehow creates safe space for these vulnerable emotions or things they're dealing with to be expressed either through their artworks or through the conversations they have afterwards even though I've been warned by some other artists that like performance art even though it has that quality or that possibility is not it's not a therapy or it's not like anything that is clinically proven or so it has that possibility but it's not uh, really healing but still it's still kind of nice to have a space for people to share these experiences through their own artistic languages when artists have an interest to participate in your upcoming per platform festival how do they apply and submit their work? And the other thing that may be of interest as well, what can you say about how this submission process has evolved over the last few festivals that you have organised so far? For the first two editions, the artists are recruited from an open call, and uh, actually half open call, half invited. And for the invited artists, we would invite performance artists that we already we already know that they have 
experience in them. But then for the open call ones, we the reason why we open an open call is that we want to open up the opportunity for people we wouldn't normally associate them as performance artists or we didn't maybe we didn't even know that they're interested in this medium to take a chance and try to submit an idea for that and in fact for the last three uh, festivals there i think there are uh, like about half of the artists are artists who have who are artists but they've never worked with uh, live performance before so uh, which includes uh, photographers or sculptors installation artists dancers uh, well, I mean, like dancers, they've done live performance, but not in the same context. So I think that's something we'd like to open up and also to somehow prove that uh, performance art is something that actually everybody are able to do, even though you don't have that much of an experience or maybe that much of a study somehow. Yeah, or even to, like, if you're interested in performance art and if you would really like to try out this medium there are actually many audiences who have been to the first two editions uh, messaging us saying that they're the performances they have seen sort of inspired them to actually try out the medium and i think per platform is a place that is really welcoming for that kind of experimentation or even just conversations to happen so it's quite amazing that you've been able to organize already three of those festivals during the covid periods in Hong Kong. Beside the restrictions of COVID, what challenges do you face as a performance arts festival organizer? Maybe we just had the third edition, maybe the fourth edition, and we're really hoping to, at the moment, we are an independent curatorial project and we've been working with different spaces or like friends, artist studios, and we're sort of looking for a space where we could really be stationed somehow even though we would really we would still continue working with other spaces when we make a festival because i think it's a good practice to to work with different architectures or to practice with different uh, curators organizers to make performance art a common practice and people know how to deal with this art form but the space would be something we will really try to have. We don't have any public funding and we're constantly looking for um, sponsors and donors. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's something that we would really like to experiment with and also to, to cultivate a sort of uh, habit is that like, people are very used to going to art exhibitions for free and I think performance art and and also performing art is one of the industries that are the, somehow the least supported and also like with the, the, the amount of time and effort and like also like mental effort each performer or performance artist put into creating their works is, is really not like equally supported somehow. So yeah, it's something that we would really like to invite people to try to be more supportive like not only coming to see but also to really support artists and support the festival in a monetary way we don't have any public funding and we're constantly looking for sponsors and donors uh, yeah it's something that we would really like to 
experiment with and also to to cultivate a sort of a habit is that like people are very used to going to art exhibitions for free and i think performance art and and also performing art is one of the industries that are the somehow the least supported and also like with the the, the amount of time and effort and like also like mental efforts each performer or performance artist put into creating their works is is really not like equally supported somehow so yeah it's something that we would really like to invite people to try to be more supportive like not only coming to see but also to really support artists and support the festival in a monetary way Opposed to website and references of your personal website, but also per platform, the initiative that we just discussed in this podcast description. And let's end the conversation with this last question. Which artist would you like to invite if you were to have your last supper? How many can I invite? Well, there's so many artists I would like to have for my last supper, but... So many, like, my former teachers and, like, festival artists. I would really like to invite my boyfriend. He's also an artist, and I think, yeah, that would be the last supper I would like to have. Thank you so much, Florence, for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you so much, Oscar. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast with performance artist Florence Lamb. That's it for this episode of The Last Supper. In order to continue to offer episodes for free, we will need your support. And you can simply do this by following this podcast, by giving it a rating, leaving a comment or by sharing it. You can find more information on my Instagram at thelastsupper.asia and on my website www.oscarvenhuis.com. And before I go... If you have any further questions or suggestions, feel free to message me on oscar at oscarvenhuis.com. Of course, I will post all the links, references of my guest and my contact email in this podcast description as well.